This is Hearts of Oak Podcast. Free speech, religious disagreement, children's rights, and open and free discussion on any topic are bedrock to a democratic free society. And we seek to promote and champion these basic rights. Join us. Let's keep the conversation going. It is wonderful to have you with us. Um, so I think we are all good, Lewis. Brackle, yeah. good to have you back with us. Thanks so much for your time tonight. No, thank you. No, it's good to see you. Um, bumping into you the other night randomly uh, <laughs> out in London. That was uh, that was that was funny. Um, so yeah, that's only the second time I bumped into a guest before I've had them on. The other time was Abby <laughs> Roberts, who I oh, sat beside at a Delingpod event, and I said, "Abby Roberts." You're my guest on Saturday. I love <laughs> said, it. What? So that's the only other time, but it was good to bump into you and catch up with you. Um, and um, yeah, we did. Uh, we did. You got home okay, did you? I assume because Just you're with about. us tonight. Just about. I mean, we all know the trains in England are not very reliable, <laughs> so I had to uh, hop a bit. But um, yeah, I managed to get back all right. Everything was cool. <laughs> yeah, I forget whenever you're just in London, you jump on the tube, you kind of forget about people <laughs> heading out. But um, it was good to catch up. Yeah, you too. So what can we cover? Uh, mostly of these are taken from Lewis's Twitter, at Lewis underscore Brackpool. Uh, you can follow him there and everywhere else uh what other social media platforms you on lewis uh instagram is the one that weirdly hasn't banned me and is giving me the most engagement um these days so instagram uh is just lewis brackpool my name no underscore uh so if you can find me there that's where i'm mostly active twitter seems to not be pushing my content out there so i mostly unfortunately rely on instagram and telegram um as we go Obviously, you're not controversial enough if Instagram are loving you. So we'll have to change that this evening, maybe. We, we'll have to. We'll get a clip. We'll get a good one. <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, just looking on um, on Getter, there's Marge Dawes, dark and raining here in Plymouth. Uh, sorry about that. Villain82. Uh, good evening, chaps. Chris, in a dark but mild night in Brown Hills, Walsall. Uh, do drop in your thoughts on that getter feed but first of all let's go back to the awful individual that (laughs) i have to call my mayor in london and that is this sadiq khan or sadiq can't no meat no dairy and three outfits a year welcome to sadiq Can's plan for London is C40, a global group of city mayors chaired by City Can, has a radical vision of net zero. The criticals say will restrict personal choice, and this was up in the the Telegraph. And um, what are your thoughts on little City Can, Lewis? <laughs> well, um, they're not pleasant ones. <laughs> put it that way um, go on get banned from instagram go on <laughs> <laughs> trying to get me banned off instagram great um no i, I can't stand sadiq khan uh, i haven't done since he was elected i think all of his uh, policies or most of his policies anyway nearly all have been an absolute disaster especially the controversial expansion of ules um but now what we're seeing is this agenda that has been really been making the forefront uh, now within policy, and that's uh, a lot of green, uh, e- I call it eco-extremism, 
Um, and the reason why I call it that is because we've been seeing this type of policy, especially within the green sort of circuit, uh, this sort of policy has been sort of becoming mainstream now where the idea of hiking up tax uh, for the everyday working man or woman um, just being the forefront of policy. And we're starting to see freedoms uh, within the United Kingdom and beyond. There are many other countries doing the same thing of really pushing forward uh, for this no meat or taxation upon meat, dairy products, um, and of course, owning private vehicles. Um, and th uh, this three outfits a year thing is a brand new thing to me. I never knew that was part of the plan. <laughs> I, I was thinking, outfits. do we need three outfits? I don't know. I could get by with two. <laughs> <laughs> See, it doesn't go well for, uh, for, um, for many people within London, three <laughs> outfits a year. Um, so, when I came across this article, I thought, well, they're finally admitting it. They're finally admitting that this agenda is going through. So once again, another conspiracy theory to add to the bingo card. But I don't get how everyday people don't just see this and go, uh, just completely had enough. I, d I don't understand how there's, there's so many people in London that just sort of go, oh, yeah, no, we've heard about that before. Yeah, maybe it's good for us. Uh, I, I don't understand. So I don't know how long Sadiq Khan's got, really, um, in terms of being uh, staying in London. But I'd like to know um, how this is going to go down uh, with his Islamic friends, uh, the idea of no meat, no dairy. And, of course, asking um, a lot of his friends there to, uh, to only wear three outfits a year. So, yeah, I don't know whether this is going to fly well um, with his voter base, really, and the people that are really pushing this. So... That's my view. I think it's going to be a disaster, but um, we'll see what comes of it. It's weird because he's up for election again in May next year, and it seems sure. that he can run as many times as he likes. Mm. Uh, but in this, because he obviously chairs this, um, and I read that uh, that it goes much further than any other proposed restrictions on our lifestyle uh, yeah. that one of the things is the restriction of short haul return flights to one yes. every three years now mm -hmm. i believe Sadiq khan is maybe as we speak or has already landed on his way to america for some eco event so uh. I, I guess long haul flights that's not included. It's just the short haul flights that many people <laughs> rely on. But hey, transatlantic, all good for you, Sadiq. Oh, absolutely. I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, we've just been going through three years of uh, constant barrages of lockdown and we've all been using Zoom. All the little people have been using Zoom, yeah. yet this doesn't apply when it comes to eco conferences. I thought that that would save a lot of their carbon footprint and what they're pushing out with their private jets and, and airliners that they decide to take. Surely staying on Zoom and doing it all on Zoom would set a better precedent. But no, um, eco-fanatics seem to be um, full of hypocrisy these days, and especially um, the metropolitan elite within London seem to not practice what they preach. It is. But we'll move on to one piece of seemingly good news, and it is... This story on cash, cash making a comeback. Yep. And this is the BBC 
in their business section, so not on their main section because he wouldn't mm-hmm. want to admit to this, but cash payments rise for first time in 10 years. Um, and Projam, could you scroll up to the graph? There's a graph under there that shows, um, we might get up. Uh, oh, yeah. shows actually what they're, yep, debit cards are now the go-to payment. And I have no idea of the disparity between mm. the different types um, but you see there over a 10-year period, the huge change. But w- what were your thoughts whenever you came across this story, Lewis? Well, when I first saw it, I thought, fantastic. Finally, that means that, you know, this this idea of boycotting the idea of uh, CBDCs and, you know, the the usher in of this new wave of um, of technology, uh, I, lo- I love it. I love the fact that the people are turning around and saying, do you know what, um, this is very important and it's very important for consumers um, to continue to use cash. Um, there are some people that still actually disagree with me uh, regards to that. And, you know, I've, I've made the case that cash is, is extremely important, especially for the elderly, especially for the disabled people in rural areas that only, um, you know, that rely on cash a lot of the time, a lot of businesses as well, rely on cash, small businesses. So to see, the hike um, is fantastic news, and we don't often get very good news in these dire times. I think most of the time we uh, uh, we're focused on uh, central bank digital currency and the and the potential implementation of that. So to see a news article like this is very reassuring, and um, I hope it keeps up. I think it just shows that people, um, when when proposed with a new radical idea that people do have that power to say, actually, that we still rely on this and we still want this. So yeah. um, props to anyone still using cash. I've been using cash now, um, which is great. So hopefully I'm part of that statistic. I'm not sure if that only applies to London. Um, I need to dig a little deeper. But when I came across it, it looked fantastic. And yeah, to anyone that's still using cash, keep it up. And of course, the big thing is, it's not just those who use it that don't want to use uh, or can't uh, use other forms of payment, which can become sure. more and more complicated because of all the, the, the fraud stuff. But it is mm. simply one control of your money. Uh, the whole, the whole um, push on fraud and yep. tax evasion, all of that. Um, sadly, I don't have any to to stash away. So, but my my side is why the hell is it the government's interest? How I've got my money and how I spend it? It's it's my life, not theirs. Absolutely, and I'm always dubious of the state really sticking their nose into to the private life of the everyday man and woman. So, you know, the idea of going to a bar. Let's say the other night when we went and had a few drinks paying in cash upon the bar like for you know whatever i don't know i I forgot what you had a beer i think it was so to pay that in cash the state cannot see that transaction now the state aren't accusing everyone of criminals but the idea of it is is that it protects you in anonymity and i think anonymity now is is very very important we live in an age now where it's extremely digital and they can track you with whatever. However, I think it's very important to have anonymity and I think it's very important to have it so the state just stays out of your life because it's almost like someone watching over your back. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I just 
I just always preach the idea cash is king. Cash is very important. And um, the idea of a nanny state uh, worries me. So mm. even if some people might say it's just a little thing, but the idea of going on to another grid, central bank digital currency, where the state can really see absolutely everything. And if we haven't learned from the past three years of lockdowns of preventing people from going out and using goods and services, take Wales, for example, when people went out and there were there were particular products that the state deemed um, to be, well, um, what was what was the term they used? Remind me, Peter, where the state basically said... Uh, it wasn't essential. It wasn't essential, exactly. Thank A you kettle for wasn't essential. Yeah. So by saying, let's say if this happened again, and they're already saying that there could be potential other pandemics in the future. So if this happens again... They can say, well, that's non-essential for you to, to, um, to purchase these products or, or go into certain supermarkets. And they can easily shut, you, shut it down completely. So mm. that's why cash is important because you can still have that transaction and you can still have that transaction between businesses and with people that you know, which I think is incredibly important. Yeah, we have to fight for that right to privacy and that right to control yes. over what we have um, and what we earn. Yeah. Um, let's have a look at what you've been up to, Lewis. Well, this could be anything, but no, we'll, 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 we'll keep it. We'll keep it family friendly. Um, Matt Littis, uh, you had yes. an interview with him recently, and I've dipped in and out of it. And you'd, uh, it was a very relaxed interview. Uh, you went to see him. Tell us about that and what people can find and why they should go and watch it. Yeah, so Matt Letissier, um, former legendary Southampton football player, um, scored unbelievable goals back in the day. Um, it's a shame that he wasn't picked more for England. I think he had eight caps uh, for England, but Glenn Hoddle and Terry Venables at the time just didn't pick him more, which is uh, an absolute shame. But for people who don't know Matt Letissier, I'm sure all of your viewers know who Matt Letissier is, but for those who don't, um, he worked at Sky Sports um, for a while after his um, career as being a footballer. And he started speaking out in 2020 when COVID was really ramping up with the propaganda, with the media, uh, with the establishment. And he thought, hang on a minute, this isn't right. So he started speaking out against it. And that cost him his job at Sky Sports. Um, in this interview, I... I want to do st like this type of style where it's kind of like the anti-establishment Louis Theroux. So I like the idea of um, being in um, the interviewee's environment and to have that relaxed sort of conversation where um, it sounds bad when I say it, but you sort of let your guard down and you feel a bit more relaxed and that you can speak your mind without having to worry. Because mm. the times that we live in, people are very worried to speak their mind. So... I wanted to do an interview with Matt, not only because I, you know, admire him as a footballer and his career, but I admire his, I admired his courage to speak out when it was right, and that he continues to do that now. Uh, within the interview, there's some uh, important information that uh, I didn't realise beforehand. For example, I won't spoil it all, but uh, he explains. Oh, I asked him, "Is there anyone at Sky Sports that thinks the same?" That's a very important question because we all think that uh, the mainstream media is just in one 
bubble and that there's plenty of people in there that just don't think the same as the who isn't metropolitan middle class and turns out that there is quite a few people mm. that believe in the same things that me and you do or the same things that matt do matt does and they were part of a whatsapp group which i found was very interesting um and that was a fascinating part of the interview because you could see that matt was really thinking about um obviously the people that he spoke to, the community that he sort of built within uh, Sky Sports and, and the media world who were uh, on the same page, but then was so frightful to lose their jobs that, behold, people mm. started leaving this group after Matt was speaking out and it cost him his job. And it cost, of course, two others, yeah. uh, Sky Sports um, uh, anchors, pundits, uh, their job. So it's a fascinating interview. Um, I really enjoyed it. It took me three days, three solid days, <laughs> to sitting edit. in one spot of not going out the house. So please do it for that sympathy, <clears throat> just to watch at least a little bit and help with the algorithm. Um, but I try and make it so it's not just one interview, not just you're sitting face to face and it's just that with no, with nothing else. You know, I try and spice it up with some J cuts and showing Matt back in the day at Sky Sports and all of his old goal compilations and uh, him speaking out on GB News about um, the athletes dropping dead um, randomly uh, and speaking out against that. Um, so I'm really proud of this interview. And uh, Matt was fantastic. Such mm -hmm. a lovely bloke, such a down-to-earth person. And, um, yeah, very inspiring man. So I, I was very grateful to be in his presence and to do that interview. It was the editing that really got me. I, oh, yeah. I thought, I bet Lewis has taken a while to do yeah. that. It, it was really well done. So um, when Thank when you, you do, I guess when you do videos, you think content, but then you think actually style and hard to put together. And it was the editing which which stood out. So it was a good job. Thanks, mate. I really appreciate that. Yeah, I, I worked a lot, very hard on that. Three days of sitting in one spot really does take a toll. So don't you love video editing? I do love it. I do love it. I can't. Yeah, I can't lie. <laughs> Let's move on to Andrew Bridge. And oh, one thing, so um, uh, T-shirts. So if, uh, again, if you order T-shirts and never don't get them from us, then just drop us an email. Uh, we always have the odd email here and there that people, for whatever reason you don't, and we'll stick one in the post to you. So it's heartsvote.org forward slash shop. Uh, you can get them. Um, here's one of them, but you can get them there. Um, and it's one way of supporting. So that's my little advertisement break, but on with Andrew Bridgen, who actually bumped into on Wednesday at a child protection event, public child protection, Wales. And he was speaking along with Ian Paisley and it was good. If only more than two out of 650 came to speak about it, but this is Andrew speaking about a bit and switch on the Pfizer jab. And of course, with the Indian variant going to kill 75% of us, uh, without panic, of course, this is why they're pushing it. But let me, its it might be nearly two minutes. I'll just play the whole thing. So here is Andrew Bridgen. On the 7th of August this year, I wrote to Prime Minister Rishi Sunak with evidence that I'd received from Dr. Josh Guchko of the Hebrew University of Jerusalem which indicated 
that Pfizer had been enabled by the MHRA, the Medicines and Healthcare Product Regulatory Agency in the UK, to carry out a bait-and-switch operation with their vaccine, which meant that the Pfizer vaccine that was tested on 22,000 individuals with 22,000 in a placebo group was not the same vaccine that was rolled out in the UK and around the world. The compelling evidence for this is the fact that on the second day of mass vaccination in the UK, the MHRA changed the guidelines, told people they had to stay at the vaccination centre for 15 minutes after vaccination. The reason for this remaining at the vaccination centre was the risk of anaphylactic shock. The MHRA hadn't expected anaphylactic shock because it wasn't shown in the Pfizer trials. You only get anaphylactic shock when there are endotoxins in the vaccines. You only get endotoxins in the vaccines when they've been cultured up in bacteria such as Escherichia coli. That demonstrated that the vaccine that was rolled out around the world was not manufactured in the same way or to the same standards as that vaccine that they'd got medical approval for. That means that nobody could have given informed consent. They were told that the vaccines were safe, effective and tested. And what they were taking was a completely untested vaccine from Pfizer. I'm still waiting for the Prime Minister to respond to the 44 pages of evidence I supplied on this matter, which is of crucial importance to the health and well-being of our nation. Wow. Um, hmm. I'd repeat absolute legend the only one of 650 you're actually speaking up mm -hmm. on the jabs on vaccine side effects vaccine injuries vaccine deaths um but this is even takes it a step further um and it's sometimes difficult for us looking from the outside in to understand what is intentional and what has been a rush to market just for the money uh, there are enough rabbit holes that we could go down and sometimes I don't know whether we're tying the right ones or not. But this is a huge statement from Andrew Bridgen. Yes. Um, when I was in Brussels, um, we actually spoke about this particular thing. Um, we actually had a chat um, and he was telling me about, um, about this particular case that he was planning on uh, releasing. So to hear it from him, um, was quite astonishing. Uh, there are many people within Parliament that actually support him, but are mm. too scared to. And that's what's fascinating about it, is because I don't understand that if more and more people start speaking out, then the more we can lay this to rest, the more that we can get um, get the truth out, yeah. you know, and come to a resolution. This is what we all want, right? We want a resolution. We want to be able to say, you lied. Uh, we want to be able to say, here's the solution to these lies. Um, and a lot of people want justice. And the thing is, you can't do that unless you have more and more people come out of the woodwork and say, yep, it's correct. And we need to address this and we need to investigate this. The problem is, we know, we know what the Westminster bubble is like, even just from analysing it from the outside looking in. Um, and it's it's an encased bubble where there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of blackmail, there's a lot of corruption, and there's a lot of um, 
scratching backs. And if you decide to, to stray off um, from either a narrative or something that certain MPs don't like, then you can become very isolated uh, within Westminster. It's, it's troubling to me that these stories anyway that are coming out about Pfizer. We know, we know about lots of facts. Funnily enough, I was on the train uh, today um, coming up to Hawley and uh, I knew someone who was working on the train. He was doing the announcements and someone else came on. And we were talking about um, the madness of 2020 till now. And I was actually surprised that he, he introduced me to another colleague of his that worked on the train who, was also, who also understood about what's going on. And what's fascinating, you know, we hear about the mandates possibly coming back mm. uh, to not only America, but into England as well. Coincidentally, an, an election is coming up in the US. So that coincides very nicely. Uh, I don't know how much I can say about that, but we'll be, uh, I'll be careful. Don't worry. Um, oh, we're not on YouTube. <laughs> oh, perfect. Yeah. Well, there's an election coming up that they could potentially rig again. So, yeah. you know, um, so that could potentially happen. Um, so, but speaking to this guy, he was explaining how um, all of these things didn't add up with COVID and, and the vaccination. And I explained, well, you're going to have immunity on your hands when it, if it does come back mm. and you have to enforce it on the trains. And a lot of them said, well, I say them two said, we won't be doing that. Mm. We will not be doing that um, because you cannot enforce it. And that's what's fascinating is they turn around, they said, well, you, technically you can't enforce it anyway. So I don't know. I think that the narrative has shifted and the, the pendulum has swung so much that, hey, if mandates do come back, people are going to be like, I'm not complying with this nonsense again. We've already done this. It's done. Um, that's why they're ramping up the fear. But on second of all, I think people are really starting to wake up about um, Pfizer, Moderna, J&J, &J and others. Um, and I believe that there are crimes against humanity that have been committed. And there needs to be a resolution. There really does. But people mostly directed at people who are working within government and institutions and public spaces as well need to start saying no. Mm. It's a very powerful word, no. And I think more people need to utilize that. Well, this next story follows on from it, also from The Telegraph and as the fear of people speaking. People mm. injured, or and I was intrigued by this from The Telegraph, from a paper that probably I traditionally trusted as yes. truthful in this reporting by and large, but went down the government mantra of telling people uh, get jabbed continuously and don't go near anyone else and just repeated the line. Uh, but people injured or bereaved by COVID vaccines speak in code online over censorship fears. Officially, Barry also heard NHS workers are afraid to talk about side effects for fear of recrimination. So there are two things. One, those who have been injured are afraid to discuss this even online. And those in the NHS who are aware of this don't actually engage with patients to help them understand what's happening, which is a horrendous situation. If you're there injured and the NHS official 
has an idea why you're injured, but refuses to engage with you on that. For crying out loud, the doctors, the nurses, aren't they supposed to help patients? For crying out loud, why, why, do, why have we come to this point? Why has it come to this point where big pharmaceutical companies even have a hold over the health of the public through nurses and doctors not being able to talk about potential side effects and potential death within people? for taking this i don't i just i don't understand how it's crept this far um it's very sad you remember um peter when uh the government was going to uh force nhs workers to uh to have the mrna shot um and then they backtracked the day that it was supposed to be implemented because too many people said no we're not doing this we need that energy back yeah. We need that energy back to um to get resolutions. To we can't be sitting here scared or they can't be sitting there scared anymore to to talk about potential life threatening harms. So it's that's actually re I'm sorry, I'm actually quite lost for words. It's quite sad to know that there are still uh, national health service workers that are worried to speak out um, and to address this issue from the mRNA jab, that they they feel that they need to speak in code to, to what other doctors, other nurses, to patients. Hmm. What kind of what kind of world are we living in now, where we have to do that? Where, where they're supposed to be doctors, they're supposed to be nurses. Their priority is the health of their patients, surely. I just I and yet th this is the COVID. It also says as if this is something positive. How wonderful this is! It says it comes as campaign groups representing hundreds of people who suffered illness or lost loved ones after being vaccinated will be allowed to give evidence to the public inquiry. That's so good of the government to allow people who've lost loved ones because the government forced a jab on them, an experimental jab. They can then come and they can share those concerns i it is i don't even know what to make of that i don't i don't know what to say peter no. i'm lost for words because it's it's sad it's so sad i'm surprised nobody has started up um from the nhs or fired nhs workers i don't i don't i don't know whether there is um a type of organization or or a company um like a private i don't know company that um, gives advice on, on people that have experienced injuries from from um, the vaccine. I don't know if there is a an organisation that is privately helping um, people that have experienced NHS workers that that are feeling that they have to talk in code um, and that cannot that can that can't advise their patients on what to do next. Um, I don't know if there is one. I need to look into that. Yeah, because we, be. had, we had, I think it was Lilith from NHS 100K, and that was back uh -huh. when they were being pushed to take it. But I haven't looked at what they've done recently, and obviously that pressure did achieve something right at the 11th hour. Um, but then I don't know what the situation is of those who were four stars. Uh, if they've got back and 
what will happen this time, whether they're going to lose many, many more in the NHS, because I'm sure many people will not be rushing to get the jab when you look at the take-up rates of the booster. Yeah, funny that, how the unjabbed are not even afraid of this new virus, but the vaccinated are. I don't... Where's the logic in that? Surely the precious vaccine had worked and prevented all this. Clearly not. So people have got to really start asking some serious questions if they're still down that um, that rabbit hole. Um, funnily enough, we're not in that. Mm, yeah, it's, <laughs> um, We're yeah. not in that rabbit hole. But going back to the workers, um, we need that pressure on again. Yeah. It's what we need. To put it bluntly, we need that pressure on. There needs to be an organisation that um, are trained NHS staff that doesn't that don't talk in code anymore and that can help people um, that have been injured uh, by the vaccine and that can work around some kind of um, kind of way to still uh, be able to give mainstream advice in that in that respect that they can acquire that mainstream audience yeah. um, because there's a lot of people there's a lot of people that have been injured. Um, and there's a lot of people that unfortunately have um, have lost their lives because of this. So, so yeah, we need we need that pressure back. We need that energy back. Well, going on to something completely different, but staying on a health theme, mm. oh. um, and not mental health. No, <laughs> although we could go down that. You could. And <laughs> this is Euro News. A cavity is not a vagina trans woman refused healthcare in France. And it was just that uh, headline which made me think, what on earth? But yeah, Cowd is not a vagina. Breaking news, you've heard it here first on Hearts of Oak. (laughs) The truth has come out. Um, But it says the French doctor admitted he didn't have the training or knowledge to treat trans patients. As experts says, there's no need for trans women to visit a gynecologist at all. Mm. So at Um, least mm. says, I only treat real women. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's so good. And he said, it wasn't my speciality (laughs) to treat a bloke who's a woman. Um, Yeah, this is obviously one-off case and and the media are trying to mock uh, the, the doctor. But I guess it's something... In, if we believe the figures that we're told of everyone rushing to change gender every morning, um, that more and more doctors are going to be in confusing situations um, where maybe you've got a woman coming in saying she's got testicular cancer or something yeah. and it has yeah. to be treated for it. And oh, no, it's not true. <laughs> no. Um, I mean, sometimes the content writes itself, doesn't it? Um, <laughs> I, I mean... The, I don't know who this French guy is, but I'd love to buy him a beer, put it that way, because we live now in an age where common sense has kind of just gone out the window. And I, it's funny because I sound like a boomer. I sound like how my dad spoke you know, when I was younger. Oh, world's gone mental and all that, and world's gone mad. But we're, we're still... We're, it's been so hyperventilated now that even just saying i'm sorry this isn't my speciality this this isn't this isn't what a traditional vagina is supposed to be <laughs> and how it works and everything for someone to say yeah this isn't it sorry I, I, this isn't my speciality that's right no you're cancelled see you later revoke your license you're a gynecologist for crying out loud like this is oh 
I, once again, the content writes itself. Uh, common sense needs to prevail in, in these sorts of areas. And yeah, whoever this French, French guy is, uh, I believe it's a man, isn't it? I believe it's a man, man, yes, who thinks uh, they're a woman and came in with her boyfriend. So you've got all different issues at play. Yeah, (laughs) the content just writes itself, Peter. I'm sorry, I've said that three times, but yeah, but but we, I remember back in the days, Lewis, uh, (laughs) whatever. If someone had an issue like this, they could talk to a professional and talk through those issues. Now you're not allowed to even go there. This isn't a, a mental thing. It's just whatever anyone wants to be. And it's to just to go with every whim of anyone. Then I guess any mental health issues will just disappear because everyone will have a right to own whatever they believe is true, no matter how bonkers it is. Of course. Well, you know, the definitions will continue to be rewritten until, you know, the, the activists or the activist class get their way because that's what they want to do, right? They want to change definitions so it fits their narrative, their worldview, their fairy tale. Um, yeah, surely, well, the only advice I'd give to this transgender uh, woman, quote-unquote, uh, is to see a sur- see the surgeon that performed the operation. Surely that would be the sensible option if you are really having a having some trouble. Um, yeah, I think regret sort of sets in um, very quickly after that. I think the statistics prove that, really, don't they? So yeah. there's your clip. <laughs> and w- once you get something removed, you can't really put it back. No, uh, the no, point out the bleeding obvious. No, it's not Lego, is it? No. Moving on, (laughs) uh, on to another horrendous topic, and that is sex abuse. Uh, This was in old Greater Manchester, up there in northwest of England. Funny enough, an area that's been blighted by grooming gangs, or better known as Muslim rape gangs. But anyway, fears raised more than 500 children in Greater Manchester Town were being sexually abused last year. Campaigners for survivors say low prosecution rates mean sexual offences have virtually become decriminalised. And I think the... um, the, the figure they said, referrals raising concerns over children being sexually abused in Oldham had risen by 586%. It's the highest number in a decade. Um, and Lewis, my big issue is the police not, not doing their job. Uh, again, yeah. there was a time when children being sexually abused would be a priority for police, but it seems to have gone down the list and well under any hate crimes being committed online on Twitter. I agree. And um, this story actually is, um, is very new to me. I've not seen this. Um, so it's actually horrific. This has been going, this has been going on since the seventies. Um, this has been a, a widespread issue in England for a long, long time. And there just seems to be no resolution there seems to be no resolution from the police and no wonder no wonder the uh, the view on the police force um these days is is 
not looking great. It's not looking very great. And you know what? I understand completely because when you get stories like these, um, I start to wonder what, what is it that the police prioritize over serious crimes such as this? This should be the top. This should be the top list priority um, in Greater Manchester. Mm. But what, this has been going on for way too long. I mean, it, sh it, shouldn't, it shouldn't be happening anyway. We know this. But the fact that it's been going on for decades and decades and decades, um, I don't know what the resolution is anymore because the police aren't doing anything. The councils aren't doing anything. Um, the government seriously isn't doing anything despite all its, all its sayings of, oh, we're going to crack down, we're going to crack down. Hmm. Um, but nothing seems to avail. I mean... We're more prioritised about an XL uh, American bully dog uh, yep. than we are about this. Why isn't this the mainstream news? Why isn't this everywhere plastered upon everything? Why isn't the government holding serious emergency meetings about this type of thing? I don't know. Maybe it's because over the decades, um, the fear of being called certain names yep. has stopped people from even speaking out against this because of particular demographics. And it's a shame that it's come to that because we should be able to say, look, there is a problem here. We need to address it. And we need people from all sides, political spectrum, faith, everything to come together and say, right, there is a problem here. We need to address it and we need to expose it. But that hasn't been the case. And it just continues to mount and mount and snowball. And it's so sad to watch because we're only going to get more and more stories like this until the police decide to make it a priority and start to take it. I'm sorry, I'm going to say it. Start to take it seriously. Yeah. Because to me, I don't see the police taking it seriously because it's been going on for far too long. And I'm sorry, I'm starting to raise my voice a bit because... <laughs> It pisses me off, to, to, to put it bluntly, and I'm sick and tired of having to see horrific articles like this. And it's not going to stop until the police start to put it as a priority. Well, let me just leave the viewers with and listeners with three figures. So 580% increase over eight years went up from 76 case of sexual abuse in 2014 to 522 in 2022. Then you have the Oldham Director of Children's Services, Gerard Jones. Gerard Jones says he doesn't believe there's evidence showing oh. mass grooming gangs are operating in Oldham. So no problem oh. here. Where have we heard that before? But don't worry, because the government has launched a new Child Sexual Exploitation Police Task Force with £4.5 million pounds of funding over three years. That works out at £1.5 million a year across the whole of the United Kingdom. That that probably is just a, what, a pay rise of yep. a handful of MP. It, it's nothing. That's pathetic. It really is. It's it, nothing. Yeah. I know when we hear millions, you know, we accost it to our own bank account or our own wallets and what we spend it on. Hmm. But public spending is, is ginormous. So that is insignificant. Um, I think to make a comparison, I'm pretty sure um, when the coronation happened, um, I think it was something like 
300 I, oh, I'm not sure how much it was for some particular thing uh, a particular thing within the coronation I think it was like 300 million I think that was enough to fund the NHS for I don't know about a couple of hours I think mm. it was something like that something ludicrous so when you put it into perspective of public spending and how much needs to go in in order to to gain out um you realize that, that figures like that are nothing it's minuscule yeah. worrying it and the government could change it in a moment if only they we could. had a conservative government to do something proper yeah conservative quote unquote yeah long time ago <laughs> yes Let's our second last story is this the wonderful Graham Lynam. Mm. And this is trans activists, which we see again and again, trans cancel Richard Iota. I never know how to pronounce Richard's name, <laughs> but I do love the IT crowd and I do love Travel Man 48 Hours. Absolutely <laughs> love the, the best travel program. But nice. and Jonathan Ross. Uh, for complimenting Graham Lynam's new book, saying the IT crowd star is now in the bin. And it's this is Graham Lynam's book, and on the front are two endorsements, two quotes, one from Richard and one from Jonathan. I, it's intriguing how someone like Graham Lynam, who is very much on the left, has found himself yeah. as the whipping boy of the trans activists. Yeah, and what's fascinating, I believe Graham... Um, was the one that uh, called out Can Count Dankula when he had his um, yeah, he moment. Did. Do you remember that? When when Count Dankula was um, yeah. put away, well, I say put away, he was fined for uh, teaching his his pug to do a, a Zeke Heil um, for a joke. Um, for I, th I think Graham apologised after. He did. I think, yeah. He did. Remember. He did. But that this is the thing. This is the problem. I, I hate to say it, but a lot of, not all, but a lot on the left um, of politics um, outside of Westminster, uh, mostly, although some of them in Westminster, well, all of them in Westminster really still don't understand it. But they don't understand when the authoritarian boot clamps down on them, it's then scream victim. I'm not saying I like Graham. I think he's yeah. fantastic. I'd love to have an interview with him. It would be it would be fantastic. Um, considering you know we're opposite side of the of the political spectrum, but um, we do come together for things such as free speech, which is so important. But I hate to say it, but okay, I'm going to word this carefully. I hate to say this, but I think more left wingers kind of need to feel the boot of the authoritarian in order yep. for them to say, "Hang on a minute, there's something wrong." I don't want it to happen at all. But if this is what it takes for more people to turn around and say, this is pathetic now, we need to change the Overton window, then so be it and have everything, all cases dropped, fine. That's, that's the utopia thought that I I've agree. got. The problem is the trans activist group, they're not going to stop. Um, they have huge lobbyist groups with so much funding and so much power within the civil service and, and various other areas within institutions, Stonewall being being a, a one that comes to mind, um, where they can completely ruin people's lives, whatever status they are, whatever class they are, it can completely ruin someone for even critiquing um, or even having a viewpoint or liking a tweet. So 
it's a shame that more of this is happening. I, th- I would have I would have been tired by now if I was an activist. I mean, I get tired reading the news anyway, so I don't know how they're, they're carrying on. Maybe it's the hormone. Um, but <laughs> I'll tell you what, it's just, it's just sad that this continues, but this is the framework that's been built. Yeah. Tony Blair legislation that hasn't been repealed. Communications Act 2003 using grossly offensive material. Mm. What is grossly offensive? Oh, could it be a tweet that is out of context? It, could it be a critique of something that's grossly offensive? How does one, how can that be so objective? It can't, it's subjective. So we're in very tricky times. However, I think if more and more lefties feel the boot of the authoritarian, um, I think we're going to see better results. And I don't want it to happen. I want that to not happen. I want more people to say, actually, it's wrong either way uh, before this continues to happen. But I don't know, Peter. I mean, I'm, is wishful thinking um, the correct term in this situation? Probably is. Um, yeah. Yeah. But we are going to end up on a interesting positive story. And it's yes. from Vigilant Fox. Um, neither Lewis or I are doctors. So we'll just put that out. <laughs> yeah, put that We're out not there, the experts. Not. Vigilant Fox <laughs> is the expert. So we'll, we'll agree. But this is something which I've talked to a number of people, and I'm sure you have as well, Lewis, in our, in our different circles. And you're always looking for a solution to the problems we have. It's one thing reporting. It's another thing to be able to present a way forward. And this is vaccine injury treatment. Fasting for 48 to 72 fasting for 48 to 72 hours creates osophagy, the body's detox process that kills COVID-19 vaccine spike protein damaged cells and reboots the immune system. I'm so glad that after auto it put all that in the body's detox process because I had no idea. So I had to go and look it up and it mm-hmm. was there in the headline. But the benefits of fasting on COVID-19 vaccine injuries are now being looked at seriously in the scientific literature. And Good. this article, which I'll encourage everyone to really go in, delve into, it's just out today, actually goes through a lot. So if you scroll down, here are a number of the studies what is the literature on fasting and COVID-19 vaccine injuries? Oh, a lot wow. of the studies talking about the spike protein damage and then talking about how 72-hour fasting helps. Um, it's it's good to see stories like this coming out to us, isn't it? Because yes. sometimes you kind of lose a little bit of hope that there's a way out of the dark hole humanity's found themselves into. Absolutely. There are more and more great stories coming out. And yeah, echoing what peter said if you haven't read this article definitely go through it definitely go on vigilante news or vigilante fox and and um and read this i think it's very very important fasting as we know is so good for you so so good for you in in doses and um there's a reason why people have been doing it for thousands of years because it's so beneficial um so it kind of makes logical sense anyway really even without the studies that fasting would benefit in that respect because it does help with the immune system and it's almost giving you a bit of a reboost um which is great um so it's fantastic to hear another or a solution uh, in that respect um 
So I'm going to keep very close eye, a very close eye, or two close eyes actually, on um, on the studies of that because, I mean, it makes logical sense anyway. So I'm very intrigued to see uh, see more findings about it as well. It really does. Let me just share one other screen thing from which is, I mean, there is a lot in it, um, but I'll just leave this and they go through. The, the benefit, there are two short videos on it, and it also goes through what happens your body, as you can see, moving through the, the longer you fast. And it is exceptionally helpful. You've got that. Um, you've got the two videos, and then talks about several goals of prolonged fasting, remove spike protein, reboot the immune system, improve gut health, uh, stimulate stem cell production. Um, I'm so, something I'm going to look into because yeah. I don't know if you read stuff and uh, I don't know whether it's true or not. It could be a load of, of BS, but <laughs> I want to delve into it and, and understand it. And certainly over the last three and a half years, it's all been a, a learning curve for all of us, understanding yes. and learning all different areas. So it's good to end on a positive news. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think I've done fasting um, a few times. Um, yeah, I have done. Yeah, so I need to. Uh, I need to get back on that, and I need to. I need to properly study that as well. So, we'll trade results. How about that? Even though we're not vaccinated, so <laughs> definitely we will trade results. Yeah, um, and look into that. But Lewis, thank you so much for coming on. Always good to chat to you. Good to see you in person, but also good to see you online. Thanks for coming on and sharing your thoughts on some of the news stories this week. No, thank you, Peter. Really appreciate it. It's always good to come on. And uh, anytime you want me on, mate, just give me a call. Oh, I will do. Don't you worry. Uh, <laughs> the viewers have heard it here first. Um, we are back with you on Monday with Joe Allen. Uh, Joe Allen's book, Dark Eon on transhumanism and the battle against the human something is there uh, but i did an interview with him a couple of days ago got to know joe well and it's a fascinating book on a huge subject that i think a lot of people are afraid of delving into and it's a, a 400 page book uh, join us for joe allen going through it and explaining some of the areas in it that he covers so massive subject on the rise of ai and the effect it's going to have on all of us all the way through the transhuman issue so to our viewers and listeners have a wonderful rest of your weekend whatever you're doing however you're spending it have a great time have a little bit of rest i will be back with you on monday with joe allen so thank you so much and good evening to you all thank you if you like what we do Sign up to our mailing list, donate, share, and subscribe to our many platforms at heartsofoak.org. Thank you for listening.